Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. We're talking today about how the government awards large contract vehicles at scale to make buying easier for all the government buyers, for just about all the government buyers who can't buy at scale by themselves. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. All right, let's get started. Best-in-class contracting isn't just an award or a a plaque you get for, for doing a good job. In the context of our podcast today, it means something a little different. Awarding these large multiple award contracts has been a, a growing trend for, for, for years. And we talked about you know, is bigger better as far as the size of the contract in episode 258. And we, and we discussed in that episode that sometimes it's the right thing to do, sometimes it's not. And sometimes it just matters in how you look at the size and the configuration of the contract to see if it's a fit. When we're talking best-in-class contracting, that's exactly what we mean, the size and configuration of the contract. What makes it best-in-class? For some folks, this is a great solution because it really, really thins the herd. For others, it can be an opportunity killer because the contract vehicle changed and the contractor can't get an opportunity to actually bid on the work. And sometimes it's just the another opportunity to navigate this puzzle of GovCon, to, to thin the herd down to, okay, who do we know can actually really do this? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if best in class, best in class might help you buy it better, but I'm not even sure it ensures that we know they can do the work. But before we get into all of okay. that. We, we have a very good understanding that they're probably going to be able to do the work. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Yeah. We can't know until they actually do it. Yeah. Actually, actually I think, I think, these things are so big, it obscures who can do the work and who doesn't. It's like, well, they're on there, so I'll buy it. But a lot of times they don't even have experience doing it, right? It, it's yeah, they've, just, put it, they've put in the work to bid on doing it. Before we get into what all this means, what is best in class contracting, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Mariah Dank. She's the VP of Contracts at Global Dimensions. She's in the Washington, D.C. area. I want to thank Mariah for liking and sharing many of our episodes on LinkedIn over the past few months. When people like Mariah consistently like our episodes, it helps build, I guess, momentum inside LinkedIn and more people find us. So thanks for being part of boosting our momentum. Thanks, Mariah. So what is best in class contracting? It actually starts, I'd say, a level above with the words category management. And category management is, the GSA calls it, an approach the federal government uses to buy more like a single enterprise. What it means is we're going to divide the things that we buy into different categories, and then no matter who's buying them, no matter which agency is buying them, we're going to acquire the the items in that category through a single or or a, a handful of contract vehicles rather than have everyone buy on their own. Yeah, the idea is that they're delivering more savings, more value, and efficiency for these federal agencies because they're it's a government-wide category they're all buying from. Uh, the concept is it eliminates unnecessary contracts or, or contract redundancies is the way they language it, or the way the language works. But the idea is you don't have 50 companies all buying, sorry, you don't have 50 agencies all buying the same thing 
in the same way with our own contract, you have one contract that 50 agencies use. And it also is intended to meet the government's small business goals. That's the category management, which is a higher level than the, the best in class. All right. So getting down to best in class, the focal point within the government for many, many best in class acquisitions is the general services administration. And we're actually going to quote the general services acquisition manual here instead of the FAR. GSAM 507.7101A, which is, that's a number that sounds just like a FAR number. There you go. It says, the Office of Management and Budget expects agencies to effectively manage contract spending through a balance of government-wide, agency-wide, and local contracts. And the purpose of that, like you said, Kevin, is to reduce unnecessary contract duplication and, and, and save money. Also to help you reach your small business goals and other socioeconomic requirements. So it makes it easy to buy from small businesses. So the combination of government-wise category management and agency-wide contracts and, and local contracts, smaller contracts, smaller contracts that your agency does on their own helps you save money and meet your small business goals. All right, now we're to best-in-class. Best-in-class contracting for us, means a preferred government-wide solution that, I'll let you read these, Kevin. So it allows the, the acquisition folks to take advantage of pre-vetted government-wide contract solution. In other words, somebody who's already put in a proposal to, to show that they can do this work, they, they may have past performance, they may have, they've got qualified prices, they've just, they're pre-vetted. You know that, that they've competed for a seat at this table. It's the first thing. Second thing is it supports this my, the government-wide migration to a solution that is more mature and market-proven. Well, what does that mean? In other words, if you're buying professional services in certain lanes, this is a mature industry. You shouldn't be going out and having to go, gee, who on earth could do this? Let me spend six months doing market research. You've got best-in-class to choose from. Yeah, and when we're talking products, rather than do all the market research and have people compete for products that the government buys all the time, how about buying the products and services that other government agencies buy all the time and have, have proven to be useful, right? <laughs> that their past performance is good. Hey, they're right here. Like you said, pre-negotiated, the prices are there. It makes it easy to buy. I like this next one. It talks about assisting in the optimization of spend. It's a government phrase for spending money wisely. The idea is that the government needs to understand what is the most effective way, the optimized way to spend our money. And like I said, having 50 contracts to buy rental cars is really inefficient. Having one contract that all the rental car companies are on has the same systems behind it. That's more, it's more optimized, right? I like you said, buying rental cars, buying, buying rentals. I, I, you're rent, okay, you're renting I, the car. I, I get, I get you're being picky. Yeah, I, I get the point. Optimization of spend to me means uh, saving money, spending your money wisely, right? Exactly. And we're going to talk about the categories, the individual categories later in this episode. The last thing in this piece is it increases the transactional data that's available for, for the government to be able to see what is the buying behavior. So for example, we think that we're renting 5 million cars a year. Turns out we're renting like 75 million. Well, then <laughs> there's a different outcome when you think about how would you structure that contract. Or likewise, we're, we're instead of five million widgets, we're only buying seventy-four. Yeah, but that data all being one place helps. 
Yeah, I like the the widgets better than the rental cars. That's a that's a weird a weird thing to to track for me because of the way the government has has these blanket contracts with companies to to rent at at certain prices to them. No matter what you're buying, the government is a big buyer and has trouble understanding who's buying what and how much by using these large best in class contract vehicles it makes it easier for the government to collect data and understand what they're buying from where, when, how. And how much. And how much, yeah, important. It's important to understand that there are dozens and dozens of best-in-class contracts out there. It's not like one contract to rule them all, which we joked about in our episodes about uh, multiple award contracts and and bigger is better. The government buys just about everything you can think of. And that's way too broad for a single contract. So there, there are multiple choices that, that are all best in class. There's not just one best in class. But it's sort of the Walmart model, right? Buying or selling at scale allows you to drive down prices. And that's good and bad, right? What's, what's the behavior? What, what do people worry about or complain about with Walmart? It drives out all of the small businesses in a town when Walmart rolls in. But those same people that are worried or complain often shop at Walmart because everything's in one place and it's usually less expensive. It's complicated, but that's what we're going here with with best in class. That's where we're headed. It's maximizing the government's shared purchasing power. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, That's Walmart's model is leveraging volume discounts. That's that's the, the language that pops in my head is that the shared purchasing power across the entire government, it can feel like you're homogenizing a solution, which we did talk about in the the bigger and better uh, episode. So there's a balance here. It makes it easier to buy what you need by tightening the pool of potential sources. I don't know about you, Kevin, but sometimes when I need to buy something, I go on Amazon and there are 200 pages of potential sources for what I'm looking for. And I have no idea which one's the best way to buy or what's the best price. Fortunately, it usually sorts by price or whatever other algorithm. Maybe the vendors pay to be at the top of the list, but usually end up buying from the first page of of choices that, that you see. Same at Walmart. If you go into Walmart to buy a light bulb, there's only a couple different choices of brands of light bulbs that, that you can buy. Much different experience than buying a light bulb on the web. Best-in-class contracting does the same for whatever the government wants to buy. It pre-vets and provides you fewer choices. A couple of examples is the, the GSA uh, Vets 2, which is the Veterans Technology Services 2. There's only, I put only in quotes, 70 companies as of now. <laughs> this could be, has been updated. There's only 70 companies to pick from. So instead of having 7,000 light bulbs, you've got seven, right? That's the idea. So 70 companies is a relatively small number. Uh, likewise, with uh, the NASA Soup version five has 148 primes, which is still a lot of companies, but it's not you know, 14,000, which is what it would be as if you just went out to the internet. <laughs> then there's the human capital best in class called the HCATS. The small business pool for the professionals, it's kind of professional services. That one, that's really niche. That's why I picked this one as an example. There's only 36 companies in there. So if you're looking for best in class, human capital, professional services in, in terms of, of training, that kind of stuff, which is what this, this little niche covers, being able to say, okay, these 36 companies have been vetted, that just didn't hurt a lot 
if you're the buyer. What the government's trying to do is bring more of their dollars into this concept of spend under management, which is the amount, the percent of an organization's dollars that they've spent that is managed and spent through these category management principles and through best-in-class contracting. So organizations are actually rated for their spend under management with the idea that the, the higher amount of dollars that are spent under management, the lower the cost, the fewer the contracts, the less administration costs that comes with it. So, so fewer contracts that are duplicated to administer, faster buying, better pricing because it, it, it's the Walmart concept. Yeah, the logic being the, the more scale that you apply, the better price you're going to get. That's the logic in this. Again, that's, that's the Walmart model. With all the goods and bads. All right, let's spend a minute and talk about the different categories of best-in-class contracting out there. The big one that, that comes to mind first is professional services. Professional services is an area where there are thousands and thousands of companies that could provide these services to the government. Because the government buys so much in the area of professional services, they've structured a couple very large contracts, again, where the vendors are pre-vetted, prices are pre-negotiated, makes it easier to buy. One of the majors is called Oasis, one acquisition source for integrated services. There's also an Oasis that's strictly for small business buys. And we could do a whole podcast just on Oasis. So. <laughs> <For> <laughs> just sure. trust us. It covers a lot of professional services. Information technology is another area where the government buys a whole lot. Like, like just think about uh, laps, laptops or workstations, computers. Think about phones, not desktops. Wireless mobility solutions. Yeah. <laughs> That's its own category. Otherwise known as phones. That's funny. That's why I picked it out. It's, it's kind of like with same reason that the word facsimile is still in the far. They call it wireless mobility solutions. Information technology is a huge category, and there's there are it's so big that there are separate best in class contract vehicles, sometimes more than one, for different areas of information technology. Travel is another area. Transportation and logistics. If you are buying a vehicle for the government. There's a mandatory best-in-class vehicle to use. And I'm sure, as with everything mandatory, there's always some loopholes where you, you don't have to use it in this case, this case, this case. But it's kind of good that the government buys so many vehicles that they've pre-negotiated. So every buyer doesn't have to go down to the auto dealer and negotiate their own deal. They also have industrial products and services category, which is maintenance repair facilities. That's a big bucket, but it's it's a it's a best there's a best in class for that. And the human capital category I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, like the the human capital and training solutions. That's the HCATs that I talked about. There's also a category for facilities and construction, office management, office supplies is a major best in class contracting vehicle. And yeah, we could like I said, we could do an episode on every one of those, which rabbit trail. When could we run into these best in class contracting vehicles? In the acquisition time zones, in the market research zone, once the government has a requirement, how do we buy this? Hey, if we can buy it through one of these vehicles, that's a great way to do it. And we can 
release a solicitation right through those vehicles or sometimes just buy right off of them without a specific solicitation because it's already been solicited and the deal's there. The prices are there. Best in class also comes up during the execution time zones. In the performance zone, where the contract performance is going to be inside this best in class contract, which means the schedules, the concepts, the clauses are all embedded ahead of time. The administration, the folks you deal with are, are the best in class vehicle contract administrators, not maybe the agency that's actually using what you're selling. Correct. So if, if the DOD uses the Oasis contract, the contracting officer you're going to work with works for GSA, not for the DOD. And that's a, it's a different mindset if you didn't see it coming. And then the other place this comes up in the execution time zones is in the recompete zone. Is that but you get the question of, did this work? Or did this work so well, we're going to do it again? Or is there a new best-in-class contract that we're going to move to? All of those decisions are being made during the recompete zone. So when you're saying, did this work, you mean, did, did the way that we acquired this last time work? From the government's perspective, did the acquisition strategy of using a best-in-class contract, did it work as we had hoped? Yep. Or did we not use a best-in-class contract last time, and now there's a vehicle available that makes it really easy for us to buy, so we should shift? And if you're on the industry side and caught in the middle of that, hey, I had this contract for the last five years, I want to win it again, oh no, it's not just going to be a competition that I can bid on. They're going to buy it through a best-in-class vehicle, and I'm not a prime contractor on that. So how do I actually win? How do I keep doing my work if if they're buying it through something that I really don't have access to? If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, we cover those in episode number three, and we cover the execution time zones in episode A4. All right, specific government side, why, why should the government care? Besides the fact that some of these vehicles are required for, for use by regulation, why, why, why should the government enjoy best-in-class contracting vehicles? Some of them are going to be path of least resistance. It's, it's the most efficient and effective way to award this work to, again, pre-vetted contractors who, who have already submitted a proposal and you know what, it's going to, uh, what the price is going to be, et cetera. Uh, most of the time, it's going to be less expensive for the government. Let me clarify that. It's this, this is not a cheap exercise to get through to be one of these best-in-class contractors. There's an entire process to win the work on the industry side. But on the government side, the scale leads to lower price. Yeah. It's less expensive to buy things from Walmart. It's not less expensive to be Walmart than a, than a small mom-and-pop business, right? There's a lot of infrastructure that goes into Walmart being able to offer those prices, just like there could be a lot of infrastructure required to win and administer one of these large best-in-class contract vehicles. Another reason is that it's a great tool to streamline the, the acquisition process. Yeah. And you'll get data, or someone in the government gets data on how many of these widgets have we bought? Was the, Is this an effective way overall to be able to, to buy through these contract vehicles? So the data is, is actually a very effective way for the government to, what, what, what do we call it? Optimize of spend. Yep. And then the last reason is that why reinvent the wheel? I'm assuming this contract vehicle is, is going to get you where you need to go. It's it, you know, what you need is within scope and it's going to meet your schedule, et cetera. This is a, a, a much more, or can be a much more effective way to acquire something instead of having to write a contract yourself. Uh, we talked about this in the, what is a contract vehicle episode, which was episode 346. But the trick is there, you got to make sure that you're on the right vehicle. Because if you get on, hey, the train's going west. 
okay, <laughs> but is it going to the right place? So West is a big place, right? So you can be on the wrong vehicle if you're not careful. But overall, it's a very effective way to, to, to streamline. Industry folks, I hinted at this earlier when we were talking acquisition time zones, actually execution time zones. You need to understand how could the government buy what I sell? Will it be direct or will it be on one of these vehicles? If on one of these vehicles, which one? Am I already on it? Do I have access to it? Many times, small businesses are subcontractors on the large best-in-class contracting vehicles. And when we say it narrows down the number of choices, there might only be four prime contracts that are called best-in-class that the government buys from. But each of those four could have a hundred subcontractors <laughs> buried in there that that allow the government <laughs> to access more than just what that prime contractor sells. So your only path to business might be through one of these prime contractors. In fact, your ability to have access to a particular opportunity is is its own value. In other words, if you have a seat on a best in class contract and someone else who does not has the opportunity to now bid on work that's going to show up on that contract, you just have a reason to have a teammate. Your access to the work that now moved to your best-in-class contract can be its own value when you're building teaming relationships. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times a government customer has asked me, what vehicles are you on? Like They want to buy. They've already decided they want to buy from 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 my company. Their, their first question they're thinking, how how do I make this happen easily? What is the path of least path resistance? resistance? Exactly. So they straight up ask, what vehicles are you on? Which one of these could be my path of least resistance? If your answer is none of them, eh, they're already thinking, well, I wonder if there's somebody else that I could get the same thing from that would be easier that's already on those vehicles. So having either a prime contract, if you can be that that Walmart, or being a subcontractor on on these vehicles Knowing up front what you're on and why makes it really easy for you to communicate with the government. Yeah, not only do I have what you need at a price that makes sense, but I'm really easy to acquire from. Bingo. Last thing, make sure that you're targeting. If you have particular offices or agencies that use what you sell, understand where they buy, which of these vehicles they use, and Make sure that you're available to them. Now, don't spend the time and money to win a prime contract or even be a sub on one of these just in case. If it's not for an agency that you want to sell to, many times the large contracts have what's called off-ramps. And again, the government's collecting data. If they're not buying stuff from your contract, Eventually, they'll decide it's not worth administering. Like, like you said, the one has, has like 70 prime contracts on it. If 68 of those are active and two of those contracts never sell anything, the government may decide uh, we don't want to administer those anymore and, and even keep them alive. So we're just going to turn those off, which I think is a great strategy. It, it's critically important to understand these aren't easy to get on. There's only seven, or in one case, there's only 36 seats at the table. And there are lots of companies that can do this kind of work. So just to, to clarify, like you said, don't just, you, you don't get on these just in case. They can be very expensive 
in time, effort, emotion, <laughs> and just energy to get one of these vehicles. So yeah, if you're going to go through the trouble of getting on a, a best in class, you should have a really good reason because you know your t- perfect customer uses them. In case that wasn't obvious. All right, Kevin, it's obvious that it's time to wrap this one up. It is. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I'll see you later. Okay, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. When you're wandering around the forest of best-in-class contracts and and need to find a path, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here to help. Visit skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.